I'm a bit nervous, but I'm also physically, my body, I feel I feel pretty good right now. I feel pretty centered in my body. But hmm. So I feel a little nervous. Obviously there is as you have undoubtedly noticed there is some kind of large momentum of a certain ideology and I'm not sure what to do with that it's it's nerve-wracking right there's like a there's like a fear of groupthink in general that is a difficult thing for me to want to speak speak up and speak up my concerns but I also don't want to be slandered in my positions and I think that that is something that goes around the Facebook world and the um, the discourse the level of discourse right now in America is very low it's a very emotional hijack type discourse going around I'm sure you guys have noticed that and so there's concern that I'll be slandered for my positions, but I would also recommend that if you're interested in hearing my deep thoughts, I'm going to give them to you today in long form because I can be here. I also have recorded a number of conversations that feature my concerns on this subject. I've done that with uh, Dr. John Verveke. He's a psychologist at the University of Toronto and a cognitive scientist. I highly recommend you check out that episode. He has really, really deep insights as to the nature of this movement and his, uh, his deep sympathies as well as his concerns and the things that he's seen. And we share back and forth on those things in a long form. So that's a hour and 20 minute conversation that I think the long form is the way that you can capture nuance. Um, and I think that these conversations are so important to have in a nuanced way. One of the things I want to push back against is just this groupthink, this this uh, oversimplification of what is ever complexifying reality. And so we're going to get into that. So today I just want to acknowledge and apologize for my own hubris. Hubris is excess confidence or self-righteousness. And hubris is very dangerous. Self-righteousness is very dangerous. And that manifests itself in things like governance or in teacherly authority where people basically say, I know the way. And when you look out on the landscape of, it, of Facebook, you essentially see people who are convinced that they know the way and they know what's right and they know how people should be acting or feeling. This manifests in things like white silence is violence or if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. And with billions of people alive and their subjective experiences all being different. It is difficult to imagine a paradigm where such a blanket, a blanket statement is not only 
true, but is even helpful. Okay? So. So, in my conversation with Dr. Verveke, he's talking about cruelty, cruelty like police brutality, racism. Cruelty is a deep evil that needs addressed. But a close second to cruelty in terms of having an ability to inflict suffering on humanity is self-righteousness. If you imagine the mental state of a dictator or of a racist, you have to imagine that they believe their beliefs, they hold their beliefs, they identify with their beliefs in such a deep way that it leads them to enact violence on other people. This is a really important thing to remember because it is easy to feel self-righteous when you are in the in-group, meaning that it is easy to feel self-righteous when you are fighting for Black Lives Mattering. But the self-righteousness is inherently the problem. The self-righteousness of the Ku Klux Klan member is that he identifies so deeply with his beliefs of superiority that he enacts violence. And so I think it is much more helpful for us to use the Omega principle or I guess I'll, I'll go into that here in a minute or to focus on our discourse, to focus on our mental processes as a as opposed to the product of our cognition okay so what i mean is we should focus on being in discourse with one another being in right relationship with one another as we communicate about what is important about what is happening as opposed to latching on to the products of our cognition latching on to our beliefs to what we think is true. So, we focus on being in discourse with one another, being in right relationship with one another in conversation, being in a position where you deeply listen and you you try to deeply understand, not to combat. You have to if you can take the lenses off and look at them, you'll see that we have, for the most part, been conditioned to be addicted to confrontation, adversarial interactions. We, we're like, we're conditioned to fight. We are conditioned to fight. We are conditioned to not hear what the other person is saying. This starts in childhood when your parent says, because I said so. You are out of dialogos. You are out of right relationship with your parent when your parent tells you that. When you face an authority that is unjust, you are out of right relationship with them, right? So to bring ourselves back into justice is not merely some abstract thing that is outside of us. 
to be in right relationship with justice is to be in right relationship with the people around you, the people who are you're having discourse with, right? It is not to let yourself be emotionally hijacked so that you throw away your decency towards other people that you throw away your decency towards Trump supporters, towards racists. Because if the claim is true that there is such deeply embedded, so rampant problems in our society, then we cannot just line up all the tens of millions or hundreds of millions of people who have voted for Trump, right? Call them racists and execute them. That's not an option. That's not, that's not an option. That is not a fucking Martin Luther King. That is not a Gandhi. That is not a Jesus. That is not a Buddha. No. No, no, no. And imagine the self-righteousness that you have to have to come to such a conclusion. I think it's worthwhile to imagine the emotional states that people have that bring them to the product of the cognition that they are finding themselves in. That is to say that you could imagine what people are going through inside of themselves that would lead them to believe what they believe. And as rioting, looting, and destruction have spread across the country from Portland to New York, there has been a rhetoric that basically says, well, this is black anger and rage that is boiling up. And I think there is likely a large part of that. Understandably so, right? There is a deep wound that has not been healed. There is a deep wound that scabs over and the scab gets ripped off. And the, and it scabs over and the scab gets ripped off. The wound is not healed. But I'm also deeply concerned that the movement is actually being hijacked by not black anger, but by white guilt. Which is something I'm not certain of. Obviously, this is something that I'm just ruminating on. I'm speculating on, and I am curious of. I'm sure some of you have seen videos of white rioters breaking windows while black organizers of protests are screaming at them to please stop. Hope you can hear me. Can you hear me? So there's a concern that I have that there's obviously black anger and rage are deep emotional states that could lead to behaviors and beliefs that are understandable. And I also want to examine the white emotional states that lead us to have the kind of discourse online that we're having, to have the kind of Hmm. Hmm. Let's try that. Sounds like there's some audio problems here. I apologize. Hopefully I remove my lav mic. Hopefully that just fixes it.
Give me a thumbs up if you can hear me better, Josh. Sander. Anyway. As I talk about the emotion, the hypothetical... Better? Okay, great. There's um, the hypothetical emotional state that would lead people to think what they think and do what they do. I think that that's a uh, deeply valuable thing. I think that we need to be doing that. Like we need to understand each other in that way. This is, this is just foundational to like being a decent person. This is foundational to being a good partner, to being a good friend. If your romantic partner has an issue come up for them, and you immediately treat it as something that needs to be solved before you deeply, deeply, deeply try to understand where the person is coming from, you will miss the point every time. You might be able to acknowledge or understand what they are saying, but it is very unlikely that you will grasp the significance of their upset, right? And this is one type of wisdom is to be able to grasp the significance of their emotional state. I think that guilt and shame are the lowest human emotions that we can have. And above that are anger and rage, which aren't high above that, but it history has proved that as people are apathetic helpless, oppressed, shameful, and guilty, they will look for higher emotional states like anger and rage because that brings them out of some kind of apathy. So, guilt and shame are very powerful motivating emotions and we don't want to operate from there. We do not want to operate from there. I think it's good to acknowledge and question what is your guilt, what is your responsibility, what is your responsibility in the violence that is perpetrated on black men in America, what is your responsibility in systemic racism, kind of air quotes there because that's just such a nebulous term. And I don't think that, I guess, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where exactly my guilt should be, but I definitely don't want to act out of guilt. I don't want to act out of shame. And I want to sit with those emotions long enough to transmute them into some kind of more positive emotional state of love and compassion that I can then act from. I think that's really important. Okay? Don't take your shame and then post from a place of shame. Don't post from a place of guilt. You can transmute those. You can be with those to the point that you can come into some kind of love and compassion and then act and speak from there. This is another reason why I think that the term white silence is violence is just absolutely abhorrent because you lose the empathy for hundreds of millions of people. In my talk with Dr. John Verveke the other day, 
who's a psychologist, he talks about science has proven over and over that if you take away people's sense of normalcy, and this is in mammals in general, if you take away a sense of normalcy, they go one of two places. One, they go to anger and rage. The other place that people go when their sense of normalcy is removed is they go to learned helplessness. And the people who are in anger and rage are posting things like white silence is violence, and they're not taking time to empathize with the possible emotional states of millions of other humans. There's millions of ways that people can be feeling right now, ranging from utter rage, anger, upset, all the way to helplessness, apathy, depression. Where do you lose your decency that you can't emotionally bring yourself to the black people who are so fucking confused they don't know what to do? The white people who are so confused they don't know what to do. That they're afraid of the mob mentality, the in-group preference that's so strongly purported to them that they're not sure what to do. They're not sure if they're guilty of racism. Am I racist? I'm being told that I can be a racist not by doing anything wrong to people of color, but to by being white? Am I racist? There's confusing shit out there, man. It's like, if you can't empathize with the myriad ways, the, the endless combination of how people might actually be feeling right now, wow. Of course, white silence is not violence. Empathize with the people who are confused, who are feeling helpless, who are feeling depressed. This crisis that we're facing right now, this thing that we're facing right now, do not forget that it is nested inside of the meta-crisis. Do not forget that we are literally living in a time where all of our institutions are corrupt and obsolete. Corrupt in the sense that they are outdated. They they do not work for what they were designed to do because they are trying to do the same thing that they did 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 200 years ago when they were designed on a world that has exponentially increased in complexity. We are living in a world where people are struggling to find meaning in a world where people are struggling to make sense of the world. We are living in a world with an information ecology that is poisoned and broken and polluted and it is gamified. It is commodified. Our sense making has been bought and sold and traded like it's some kind of fucking rare earth mineral. And we are fucking confused. I'm confused as shit, man. I'm trying to put down any kind of self-righteous hubris that would try to convince you that I have it all figured out. That is so not the case. But I am trying to zoom out as much as I can. It's not that I won't zoom in. I'm zooming in on a number of things. I try to bring my emotional awareness into what other people might be going through. But I also am trying to zoom out to see this thing from a perspective that includes history that includes the Holocaust, that includes genocide and tyranny. 
that includes slavery, that includes racism, that includes p- police brutality. But I don't want to zoom in. I don't want to get stuck in any one zoomed in perspective. Can't do that. There was a thing that was brought to my attention by Eric Weinstein. If you don't follow Eric Weinstein, you ought. He's a brilliant mind. And he talks about the idea of critical feeling. Critical thinking, we all know. Critical thinking is thinking for yourself. It's thinking from first principles. It's questioning the status quo. It is being curious and willing to do the work and willing to sit through the arguments and willing to have decent discourse with the people around you. Critical thinking. But critical feeling is incredibly important as well, especially in a time like this where our opinions are algorithmically amplified. Literally. If enough of us post a certain thing, the algorithm then takes that, multiplies it, amplifies it. The things that get the biggest emotional response from us are what are selected for in this algorithm that we are living under. Because remember, it comes from marketing. It comes from capitalism. It comes from selling shit to each other. That is so important to understand and remember as we see this huge welling of monolithic opinions or homogenous opinions online. As groupthink turns into group feel. And group feel is really dangerous. That's really fucking dangerous. Group feel is really, really dangerous. And what ends up happening with groupthink and group feel is that you essentially create an in-group, which is the people who believe what I believe, and there is an out-group, those who don't believe what I believe. The in-group can be seen in myriad ways. There are nested series of in-groups and out-groups that we play into based on scaling size, starting with myself, that I am my own in-group and everything else is an out-group, to my, my, me and my girlfriend, to me and my family, to me and my friends, to my community, to my nation, to, you know, on and on, right? The in-group here that we're seeing is essentially those who are, I mean, there are myriad in-groups here based on opinion. And that is quite a shame because that, like I said, that focuses on the product of cognition, that focuses on the things that we actually come to, the deci- the opinions, the beliefs that we then latch onto and identify with. We are overemphasizing the products of our cognition and we are coming out of right relationship with everything else. We are latching on to the decision, the opinion that if you support Trump, you're racist or white silence is violence, right? (laughs) Like any of these kind of crazy radicalized memes that are going around. 
and it brings you out of right discourse with the people around you. It brings you out of right discourse with the ideas themselves. Because to latch on to the product of your cognition, to latch on to your opinion or to what you think is true, you then create an in-group for whoever believes the same thing that you do, and then you cut yourself off from the out-group. And it is so obvious that unity and humanity, decency, nonviolence, peace, we are not hearing shit about peace right now. We are hearing anti-this and anti-that. We are hearing how it's like people are virtue signaling to try to be in the in-group. This is in-group dynamics is critical to understand if you want to understand anything about virtue signaling. Virtue signaling is where people can post something that signals a virtue that they are in the in-group, meaning that for example, you could post something that would try to convince the people looking at your f- timeline that you are, in fact, anti-racist and doing the work of whatever it is. That you signal the beliefs that keep you in the in-group. And if you don't have those beliefs, you get kicked out of the in-group. And this is what psychologists refer to as cancel culture. Cancel culture. It's the thing that I, at the beginning of this transmission, talked about how I was feeling nervous that there was this mob mentality that was going to try to cancel me from the in-group. That goes away as I get rolling, though. That goes away as I get rolling. So... I want to talk about a couple of cognitive errors that I see in the movement that I have already touched on a couple of them. One is this gross oversimplification of what is a ever-complexifying world. The world is getting more and more complex. You are a complex system. You are not a complicated system. You are not designed. You are not designed. You are an emergent property. You are not something that people wrote schematics for. You are something that the universe has literally distilled over eons and eons. So, you are complex. I am complex. Our dialogue is literally a complexity stacked on top of a complexity. Our society is infinitely complex. Institutions like our governance, finance, these are institutions that are in their nature complicated. They are designed externally. They are not emergent complex systems themselves. And in no way are they capable of managing increasing complexity. This is how you see the breakdown of all these different systems that we're seeing. 
So to cognitively, to intellectually oversimplify the ever-complexifying world is literally to go backwards. It is diametrically opposed to progress. I see things like white silence is violence and if you are blank, you are a racist to be diametrically opposed to progress. That is blanket statements. Those are virtue signals. That's noise. That's hubris. That is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is so dangerous. It is so, so, so dangerous. Oh my God. If you imagine a teacher that you ever had who was not self-righteous, if you imagined an embodied teacher, someone who was very humble, someone who, was, who acted on love and who acted on compassion, and they did that consistently, continuity over time, we are all inconsistent. We all fluctuate. We all have our, our biases. We all have our, our prejudices. Fucking duh. Get over yourself. And we are all inconsistent. Some days we are incredibly compassionate. Other days we turn our head away from the thing that we needed to stand up for. This is the nature of us. And our nature is really important. <laughs> We are literally in a time where we are being called to reinvent human nature. We are being called to reinvent human nature. And I don't mean that we have to forcibly change how we are all the time. I mean that we have to take a good hard look at the narrative that we've created that is human nature because there is a narrative there, right? There is a story. There is a rhetoric. And we need to examine that, and we need to be very careful in how we tell ourselves we are. How we tell ourselves we are is so fucking important. This is the story. We live on stories, man. We live on stories. This is one of the ways that our little peanut brains can try to grasp the incredible complexity of the world. The incredible complexity of existence. Our peanuts aren't designed to hold all this shit all at once. We have stories. We have narratives. Narratives are the frames that we see the world through. And we have to occasionally take off the frame and look at it and say, is this frame serving us? Is this frame accurate? This is the same thing that you have to do if you're a racist and you want to become not a racist. You have to examine the frame in which you see the world. You have to examine the narrative in which you self-righteously attach yourself to the product of your cognition. You have to examine the process that you went through that led you to be so identified with your opinions that you would enact violence on your opinions. That is a frame that you see through that you have to re-examine if you want to move forward. We have to re-examine our frameworks. There's something that's deeply troubling to me in the movement, and that is the mantras that I see coming out of the movement. 
I am not opposed to people protesting. I encourage you to protest. That is a great way to send a message. I do not encourage you to destroy things, to enact violence, to threaten, to intimidate. Don't do that. That is literally the problem. Two wrongs don't make a right. Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Jesus, Buddha. These are the teachers that we have had in humanity's history who have preached nonviolence. Nelson Mandela. Okay, what does the modern, effective, compassionate, loving, embodied leader look like right now? I'm not sure, but I can guarantee you that he does not advocate for violence or destruction. She does not advocate for hubris, self-righteousness, condemnation. She calls for nonviolence. She calls for forgiveness. Those are my intuitions. I'm curious what you think the embodied, enlightened, compassionate, loving, effective leader looks like. What does she say? What does she do? What kinds of memes does he create? What kind of chants does he create? Because literally, the idea of white silence is violence, all cops are bastards. Anyone who blank is a racist. No justice, no peace. These are essentially the worst mantras that you could ever chant. Because just a little history on mantras... (laughs) Religions, movements have used mantras for literally millennia. They have literally used mantras for thousands and thousands of years to reprogram their subconscious to be in right relationship with reality so that they would manifest the things that they want into existence. Okay? My beautiful girlfriend, Alicia Lynn Diaz, is a Ayurvedic practitioner, and mantras are something that she has used for years. Mantras are sentences, statements, things that you say over and over and over in a positive, 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 positive. Martin Luther King talked about freedom songs. There were songs that slaves sang that did not say no, no, no. They said yes, yes, yes. They they sang, we shall overcome. Blacks and whites together, we shall overcome. We shall overcome. Oh my God. There are so many books out there. There's so much self-help knowledge. There is so many religions. There's so much history that helps you create mantras that are positive, progressive, and effective, and they do not look like no justice, no peace. Mother Teresa, when asked if she would go to an anti-violence rally, she said, no. When you have a peace rally, you let me know. I'll go to your peace rally. I will not go to your anti-violence rally. This is a little glimpse into the adversarial nature of the discourse in America right now. It is purely adversarial. 
we have to fight anti this, anti that. You have to be anti, if you're a racist, you have to be anti-anti-racist. We're just cognitively fucking spinning our wheels here. <laughs> it's almost laughable. I encourage you, if you are part of the protests, if you are part of the movement, do not convince your children that there is no peace and no justice. No. Tell them, we want justice. We want peace. We want good ways to police. We want justice. We want peace. We want justice. We want peace. Do not say no. Do not utter to the universe the very thing that you're trying to fight. Do not try to convince the universe that there's no peace and there's no justice. No, you convince the fucking universe that there is peace and there is justice and we shall overcome and it is coming our way. I've thought for a while that the thing that the world needs is essentially couples counseling. Because most of the time in relationship with our romantic partners, the things that are insidiously problematic are problems in discourse. They are problems in the way we talk to each other. There are problems in ways that we listen to each other, that we hear each other, how we internalize the message of our partner. You go to couples counseling and a good couples counselor will help you hear your partner better. They will help your partner hear you better. They will give you tools so that you can speak to your partner better. They will give you tools so that you can verbalize your emotional states more clearly. And vice versa, so that you can come into right relationship with one another. A good couples counselor will not give you chants and mantras to put down your partner. They will not give you tools so that you can destroy your partner's opinion, so that you can destroy your partner's complaint. No. No. The the level of divisiveness that is in the rhetoric on Facebook is shameful. It is fucking shameful. It is purely adversarial. It is just fighting. It is just noise. There is no signal there. All the people who are posting, if you support Trump, you're a racist. I'm like, no, you're, you're literally taking yourself out of right relationship with hundreds of millions of people in the country that you need to fix. The reality is that society is incredibly complex. Society right now is like an injured wild bird. Stop convincing yourself with hubris and self-righteousness that you know how to fix nature. There is no big top-down solution for this. You literally need to become in right relationship with yourself. You need to come into right relationship with your partner, with your friends, with your neighbors. You need to learn how to talk to each other. You need to learn how to empathize with the opinions of Trump supporters. You need to learn to empathize with the feelings of racists. How else will you change anything if you refuse to understand the person that you need to work with? My intuition is that you think that you can headlock the rest of the world into becoming some kind of intellectual clone of you because 
That's what's been shown to you for your whole life. And I sympathize with that. I was raised by parents who were like, because I said so, and the like. And then you go into public school and it's pretty much like you don't have a fucking say in anything. And then you get pulled over and you're like, pretty much you don't have a say in anything. And it's like, we're, we're pretty conditioned to think that the only way to have any kind of progress is to point a gun at someone else and say, you have to listen to me. I have the way. I am the self-righteous one. And so many people on the internet, they, they just regurgitate what other people say. And they say, no, this person is the, is the person you have to listen to. That's such self-righteous, backwards ass hubris. That ain't going nowhere. You have to come into right relationship with the thing that you want to change. If you want to change racism, man, you got to get into the hearts and minds of racists. And if you think that you can do that without bringing yourself into emotional awareness of their experience, you are lost. I apologize for the self-righteousness that I imply there, but at least consider my opinion. I'm not tied to it. I don't identify with it. But it seems to me that if we want to make a better world, we need all of us. You can't line up half of the voting population and execute them. And so what are you going to do if you condemn all Trump voters to be racists? What does that do for you? Where do you go from there? You're going to have to work with these people. They're part of the world that you live in. They are part of the complexity that you are inside of. Peace, peace, peace. We need peace. We need peace in our dialogue. We need peace in our policing. We need peace internationally. We need geopolitical peace. We need peace in our agricultural systems. We need peace. Peace, 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 peace. Not anti-fighting. No, we need peace. We don't need anti-violence. We need peace. We don't need anti-racism. We need peace. Peace, 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 peace. Don't convince yourself that what you say doesn't matter. Don't convince yourself that what you say doesn't matter. What you say matters so much. It is proven over and over and over in science and in religion and everywhere. What you say is a fucking message to the universe. It's a message to the universe. Make sure you're sending the right messages. Make sure that you are coming into right relationship with your neighbors, with your friends, with your partners. Mature your dialogue. Mature your dialogue. You can speak your subjective experience. Your subjective experience is so much more valuable to us right now than your opinions. Your opinions don't do shit. What are you feeling? Let us into your heart. Let us into your mind. Let us into your emotions. This is what we're called to do right now. Opinions, self-righteousness, that shit's out. Intimacy, vulnerability, honesty, that's what's in. All right? That's what's up. If you like this podcast, consider supporting it. That's paypal.me slash airy in the air. I appreciate the support. Woo! I feel lighter. I feel lighter. I'm glad I got this off my chest. I love you so much. I really do. I really hope the best for you and the world. Like, I want to be unified. I want to be in right relationship with my brothers and my sisters of every color and origin. I've traveled the world. I love different cultures. 
but they're not all equal. Let me know your thoughts. Feel free to write a comment in the video below, all right? Or in the comments below the video, all right? Stay happy, stay sane, stay safe, love you. See you later.